you're listening to an ODI live event podcast. You can find out more about events and research by the Overseas Development Institute by visiting our website, odi.org. Welcome to the Overseas Development Institute tonight. Uh, We are really delighted uh, to have you all here uh, for what I think is going to be an important and extremely interesting event. Uh, My name is Alex Thier. I'm the executive director here at ODI. And our event tonight is called Investing to Transform Lives. Uh, And I also welcome uh, those of you who are not in the room with us, but watching around the world on live stream. And if you are in the room or somewhere else and you want to follow or contribute to the discussion on Twitter, we are using the hashtag, uh, it's up there in little letters, uh, GlobalDev. So our long journey as a species on this planet has hit two milestones simultaneously, but probably not coincidentally. We as a generation have the opportunity as the first generation in history to end extreme poverty, to create a world in which every person, no matter where they are born or how they are born or what they look like when they're born, has the opportunity to live a life of basic human dignity. And at the same time, we are the first generation to confront what may be a global existential crisis. So to address these problems, we need leadership and political will. We need inclusive growth that does not destroy the planet. And we need creative and effective solutions. We need evidence of what works, where, and why and we need resources. So we are here tonight to talk about that combination of things and particularly how those resources can be brought together to achieve those objectives. Two years ago, the world set about to agreeing on a new set of development goals, the Sustainable Development Goals. And what we know right now, if we're going to achieve those together, there is currently a $2.5 trillion per year financing gap. So where are those resources going to come from? How are we collectively going to catalyze not only those resources, but the use of them to accomplish the sustainable development goals? So what makes this conversation also really special tonight uh, is that we will be launching uh, the CDC's new five-year strategy, um, and with it, its new CEO. Uh, But we'll come to that in a minute. (laughs) Yes, launching you. Uh, your meteoric rise onto the world stage. Uh, uh, But to kick us off, we have a very special guest tonight, uh, Lord Bates, the Minister of State uh, in the UK Department for International Development. A member of the House of Lords, uh, and very recently come from the House of Lords, maybe he'll talk about that, Lord Bates was appointed as a Minister of State um, at DFID uh, in October of 2016, Um, And before that, very interestingly, served as a Minister of State um, in the Home Office for the year prior to that. Uh, Lord Bates, we are grateful that you have taken your time uh, to join us here tonight. And so we're going to start this event uh, with you. The floor is yours. Thank you.
Well, th thank you very much, and thank you uh, all of you in the room and all of you who are listening uh, virtually. Uh, the, uh, many of the people and organizations in this room are people who we partner with uh, on a week-in, week-out basis uh, to help eradicate poverty around the world. And these are always great opportunities to say thank you for all that you do. Uh, you are often operating in some of the most dangerous parts of the world uh, with limited protection and uh, you are doing it with great heart and passion uh, and we appreciate you and applaud you for what you are doing. So thank you uh, indeed. I'm delighted to be here uh, this evening on such an important day because uh, it's a question of how we can use development investing alongside the private sector to increase the pace of inclusive growth and economic transformation in developing countries to achieve the UN global goals. DIFID is rightly recognized for its leading role in responding to humanitarian disasters and working with government and non-government partners to improve access to better schooling, better health care for the poorest in countries. But in order to lift the huge numbers of people out of grinding poverty, we need to help support sustained job creation in developing countries. This is what developing countries want. This is what they and we in the international system need to help deliver. It is as a large part of how we will help countries to achieve the global goals agreed in 2015 and move beyond the need for aid. I'm pleased to be here on the day that CDC are launching their new five-year strategic framework. As the UK's development finance institution, CDC is central to our approach to economic development. The new strategy reflects on our, our CDC and DFID shared ambitions for the organisation to be at the forefront of development finance thinking and practice, playing a critical role within the wider context of how Amanshi's government works to boost global prosperity and tackle the causes of poverty. If you look at the world today, faltering growth and rising youth populations have exposed a chronic need for jobs and better opportunities. Most developing countries are not growing fast enough or industrializing fast enough to leave poverty behind. Over the next decade, a billion or more young people will enter the jobs market, mainly in Asia and sub-Saharan Africa. Africa's population is set to double by 2050, and as many as 18 million extra jobs a year will be needed. Failure to consign uh, a generation to a future <laughs> where jobs and opportunities are always out of reach, potentially fueling instability and mass migration, has direct consequences for Britain. The additional financing needed to achieve the UN Global Goals, as Alex has mentioned by 2030, is a staggering $2.5 trillion every year. And therefore, there needs to be a point of humility within the international community that we cannot do this alone. We need to be operating smarter. We need to be operating as a catalyst. As the UN made clear, much of this finance needs to come from the private sector. This needs international action. Together we must create an unprecedented increase in the number and quality of jobs in poor countries and the level of private investment to enable businesses to grow and prosper and support better infrastructure, technology, connectivity and skilled and healthy workforce. So what's DFID doing? Earlier this year we had our own strategy launch. Uh, our first ever economic development strategy sets out how we will invest to support inclusive economic growth in the poorest regions through a range of measures building the potential for developing countries to trade with the UK and the rest of the world, 
technical partnerships with partner governments to tackle the constraints, policy, legal, regulatory, institutional, that deter investors and prevent business growth, developing local financial sectors and deepening links with the City of London, pioneering investments in businesses to create jobs, catalyze private sector investment, and build markets in the most challenging settings. We believe it's not enough for us to invest in improvements in girls' education. In order to escape poverty, she needs both a better education and a better job at the end of it. This needs collective action, as I mentioned. In March, we held a joint conference with the World Bank in London, transforming investment risk, looking at how the international community and investors can come together to overcome the barriers that currently deter investment capital from flowing into those countries that so desperately need it, to address the risks and to create opportunities. Following that successful event, there is now a growing momentum amongst the key stakeholders, multilaterals, DFIs, investors, including the City of London, to make a concerted action on this billions to trillions agenda. CDC has a core pioneering role to play in furthering this agenda. CDC is one of a handful of investors with the skills and the risk appetite to successfully support businesses in the most difficult and challenging of markets, where private investors won't go alone. The very markets in Sierra Leone, in the DRC, Afghanistan and Pakistan, where jobs and economic opportunities are most desperately needed to help bring stability and give people a stake in their own future. It is here that CDC uses its expertise and capital to create effect, making infrastructure projects happen that would otherwise remain unfunded, building stronger businesses that create jobs, generate taxes and bring new products and services to market, helping crowd in private finance by demonstrating to other investors that responsible investments in difficult places can be viable. You'll hear from Nick O'Donoghue shortly, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but as the CDC shareholder, the key objectives we have had in our discussions with CDC on their new strategy were centered around these three things. Firstly, ensuring that the new strategy builds on success and the strong results achieved by CDC already. In the last three years, 2014 to 16, companies backed by CDC in Africa and South Asia have created over 3 million new direct and indirect jobs and paid taxes into national governments worth $9 billion. This is impressive, and it must continue. I'm, secondly, I'm glad to say that this is a strategy that continues the direction set by in 2012, namely by continuing geographical focus on the poorest and most fragile countries and states in Africa and South Asia, and targeting sectors that create the largest number of jobs. Thirdly, the new strategy sets out a new ambition, taking CDC to the next level, taking on more risk to unlock more impact, maximizing its development impact through the new and broader framework, and improving its transparency and accountability. For me, this is all extremely exciting. It is these strong foundations, the track record of results, combined with the ambition to do more, that energizes me as a minister looking at CDC's new strategy in the context of today's urgent needs. So to conclude, advancing economic development in the poorest countries is a hallmark of building global Britain. Economic development is an essential part of how Britain is helping to make globalization work for all and furthering our national interests by playing a leading role on the international stage. The new strategy from CDC marks an important moment and launches a new determination in the fight against poverty, ensuring that CDC remains a pioneering DFI, delivering impact and value for money. 
It responds to important issues raised by stakeholders, including during the passage of the CDC bill earlier this year, on development impact, transparency, and accountability. Let me finish by saying a huge thank you to all those in this room and elsewhere who've helped to shape and to develop this new strategy. This includes my own department, our partners, the NGO communities, investors, investees, the academic community, especially here at ODI, and the helpful scrutiny it received from the National Audit Office, civil society, and from Parliament, and from my fellow parliamentarians. CDC's mission, and its strategy is to achieve that mission, is important today as it was in 1948. And it's probably right to remind ourselves as to what that was. It was, and is, to create jobs and to make a lasting difference to people's lives in some of the world's poorest places. Thank you. And we move uh, to the next part of the conversation. Right. Um, so I think you've in this uh, in your in your speech you've spoken very eloquently about one of the important trends uh, that has occurred with the last strategy and this strategy is the geographic concentration yeah. uh, and the move towards greater focus in investing in fragile environments. Uh, and that, of course, as you also said, raises risk. Uh, it raises risk uh, for the investments uh, that the CDC will be making. I'm curious if you could reflect a little bit, as you mentioned, both national interest and why this is important for the UK, uh, and as a member of parliament, how do you think about how do we move forward uh, in being able to say that it's okay to take risk, and that it's in fact necessary if we're going to achieve these goals, when taking risk means that you will end up with, with probably some more failures as well? Well, it's a great question, uh, Alex, and it's one that we do sort of ponder with, particularly in the present climate, which seems to be uh, very intolerant of, uh, of risk. But it's also very important that we recognize that we don't duplicate what, is, what countries should uh, and are doing for themselves, what the private sector can and should be doing itself in spotting opportunities. This needs to be in addition to that. Otherwise, it's not development from our standpoint. And that's the reason why we narrowed the focus in 2012, to say we wanted to really focus on the most difficult uh, of, of markets, not to kind of go for the headlines where we can generate a good return by, as it were, crowding out uh, your investment, which could have been made by other uh, organizations. It's to be in a difficult place. It's to be in the, uh, in the hard places. That's why we've incorporated into, into this uh, strategy a new fragility index, which is looking again at the most difficult places to actually do work. And I think it's very important to communicate uh, your, uh, a fact about DFID's uh, work, that uh, sometimes people kind of look at financial institutions and they look at uh, DFIs and they perhaps think that with their links to uh, high finance uh, that uh, some element of the, the heart and the passion goes out of this. But listen, day to day, DFID's work is all about that aim of eradicating extreme poverty by 2030. That's what we're about. Uh, that's why last week I was in South Sudan. That's why last week the Secretary of State was in Ethiopia and Somalia. Uh, you know, that's why Rory Stewart was in Northeast Nigeria. This is where our heart is. This is where our passion is. That's why we're hosting the Family Planning Summit, because we know how important that is uh, here in London next week. So we have to 
in some senses, we have to steel ourselves uh, to be, of course, responsible, which is why the strategy is there and why the track record is there, uh, but also to be courageous. And courageous not on behalf of our own self-interest, but courageous on behalf of our ambition for the world's poor. Thank you very much. So, uh, Nick, uh, Nick O'Donoghue uh, is the new CEO of the CDC. Uh, he comes from a fascinating background of high finance as well as all kinds of mixed finance. I think, uh, like the development community as a whole, Nick has traveled a fascinating path uh, increasingly towards looking at how we use the tools of finance uh, to help the world uh, to become a better place. Uh, as the founding CEO, I believe, of Big Society Capital, you've been doing some really interesting and innovative stuff. Um, and I think people are really excited uh, about what you're going to do next. So congratulations and welcome. Great. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Lord Bates. Uh, good evening, everybody. It's a great pleasure to be here. And I am as Alex said, the new CEO of, of, of CDC, and this is my first, I'm not sure I'd, I'd describe it as a launch, but it is, my first, <laughs> it is my first formal appearance in that capacity. So it's fortuitous that that would coincide with the launch of our, of our, of our new uh, five-year strategy. I'm also happy that I'm joined tonight by our chairman, Graham Wrigley, who's, who's uh, uh, sitting in the front row and will join us for questions later on, a um, number of members of our board, and, uh, and importantly, a number of members of our senior management team. And uh, those people who have been most, I think, instrumental in putting together the document uh, that you have uh, on your chairs. So I have been CEO now at CDC for all of about three weeks. Um, however, I did have the opportunity before I sort of took the hot seat to spend about uh, two months uh, traveling broadly in, in, in Africa and India. And, uh, and South Asia and in the, many of the regions in which we're, we are active. And I had the opportunity to meet with many of the companies that we've invested in, many, many of the managers that we use, uh, many of the other stakeholders that are involved with the CDC's work. And I suppose my reflection on that trip and those visits is, first of all, that it's, it's just an enormous privilege to be uh, the chief executive of an organization like CDC that has made such an important contribution uh, to development in all of these countries really since 1948. Uh, but also that it's a really important and exciting time to take over the leadership of this organization. And it's important for many of the reasons that Lord Bates gave you. It is, uh, there's probably never been a time where um, the private sector, economic development, job creation, have been so central to the debate in, in, uh, in global development. And I think that's a function of the launch of the Sustainable Development Goals. It's a function of the, the financing conference in Addis. It's a function of COP21 in Paris. And all of these have come to a common idea uh, that focuses on the importance of the private sector and the importance on, on catalyzing private sector capital flows if we're to have any chance at all of achieving those, uh, those uh, development goals. And as Lord Bates said, it's a, it, it's a, we all know that no country's ever really escaped poverty without a, th a thriving uh, a private sector. Uh, so a private sector that can pay taxes, provide quality jobs, uh, build infrastructure, uh, help support the development of public services. We also know, uh, um, as Lord Bates says, there's a billion uh, young people who will come on the, uh, into the labor force in Asia and Africa over the next um, uh, 10 years. And those uh, young people are going to need jobs and the vast majority of those jobs will have to be provided by private sector companies. 
Now, it's an exciting time to come to CDC, first and foremost, because, what, uh, the because of what the organization has achieved in the last uh, five years. And, you know, my predecessor, Diana Noble, who I'm sure many of you have, have uh, met and listened to, used to talk about uh, CDC's role as being the, doing the hardest investments in the hardest places. And that is exactly uh, what the organization have been doing over the, last, over the last five years. And I wanted to show you just two very quick slides which illustrate that. The first one shows where our portfolio was based in 2012 uh, uh, when we made that radical shift in strategy. In that year, our portfolio was distributed across uh, most of what we would now describe as, uh, as emerging markets. Uh, in that year, in our core markets, we invested £169 million. Pounds. Today, all our investment activity is focused in those core markets of Africa and South Asia. Our commitments in, in, the, in that region last year were uh, 1.1 billion pounds. Uh, so there's a huge increase. That, so you've got uh, a huge increase in focus, and you've also got a huge increase in the amount of money that we've been able to, uh, to invest in those regions. Um, so I think the most important thing to say about our new strategy is that uh, there's, a, uh, there's a lot about our old strategy that isn't going to change. And we're not going to change our, our focus on um, uh, uh, investing only in Asia and Africa. Uh, we're going to continue to invest principally in, in fragile and conflict states. Last year, 44% of our investments went to fragile states. That, by the way, is about twice uh, what uh, our, our peer group, in the, our peer uh, uh, organizations in the, in the uh, development finance community uh, 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 invest in those countries. Um, and we'll continue, as Lord Bates said, to prioritize job creation and to focus on the highest job creating sectors. So that's all going to be as it was. Um, I think, though, what's really obviously exciting for me coming as a new chief executive to this job is to try to play some part in helping the organization build on that foundation and also evolve into an even more effective development institution. And this strategy lays out a number of different ways that we're going to, be try, to, we're going to try to do that. Um, and the first of those is how we really think about uh, impact, uh, how we measure it, how we monitor it. And jobs will always, as they should with any organization that's focused on economic development, jobs will always remain completely central to the work that we do. But, you know, as I, uh, had, as I said, had the opportunity to travel uh, um, uh, in the last couple of months, I really was struck as I visited many of the companies just to see how much impact that our investments were having over and above just job creation. And so I visited, for example, a, a company called MCOPA in, in Kenya that now supply solar panels to 400,000 households in that country. So, so now we've got 400,000 more households that can light their homes at night, 400,000 more households that, that can charge their mobile phones, can listen to the radio, and can replace the kerosene uh, uh, that they've been using to, to, to light their homes up to now. Um, I visited a company called Kampuji in, in Malawi who are running a training, uh, a training academy uh, to teach smallholder farmers how to breed chickens and to to, so that they can uh, uh, earn incremental income. We're going to show you a video when, when, when I, before, between me finishing speaking in the q and I'll show you, we'll show you a short video about a company called Miro Forestry in Sierra Leone, which creates a lot of jobs, as you'll see, but also significant envir positive environmental impacts. 
So as we think about our investment uh, uh, process, we're going to need to think much more broadly about the impact we're creating. We, we have the opportunity to be much more specific uh, uh, and, uh, on some metrics that we can aggregate, so areas like gender and climate and taxes paid, so you'll see more numbers on those. We'll be much more specific within sectors. There are, um, it's difficult to aggregate, as we all know, impact metrics across a whole range of different activities. But within sector sectors, you can come a long way towards identifying specific metrics and spe specific indicators that you can follow and judge and benchmark your, your, your impact against. For every investment that we make, uh, we'll be articulating a clear investment thesis, which we will publish. We will put on our website along the details of the transaction. We will monitor it, and we will, uh, and we will report on it. We'll continue to fund uh, research that looks at the broader story of impact within many of these sectors. And some of you, I know, joined us about a week ago at, uh, at Imperial College when we launched um, a report on the impact of private sector health. Um, and, that was, uh, and the report didn't just focus on the number of jobs that, that, that are created, even though that is a significant job-creating uh, job sector, but it focused much more broadly on patient experience, quality of care, patient access, but also, in addition, it focused on the ecosystem. And what effect does a private hospital have on the broad health ecosystem? And what effect does it have in a positive way in terms of training? But also, what effect does it have in a negative way in terms of sucking, potentially taking, taking uh, uh, doctors and nurses out of, the, uh, out of the public system? So you're going to see a lot more of that type of work from us over the next, uh, over the next uh, uh, five years. <coughs> So that's the first, I think, real, really significant evolution is this uh, uh, focus on, uh, on telling a much uh, broader uh, and more detailed impact story. The second one is around how much, and it's relevant to the question that, that Alex asked, it's about how much risk we're, we're going to be taking and how much innovation we can really do. And we're very fortunate now to have an opportunity to be, opportunity to be much more innovative about how we identify sectors. And there's a whole lot of sectors that today are too risky for mainstream finance have significant developmental uh, uh, potential, uh, and also have the ability uh, or the potential to evolve over the next sort of three, four, five years into sectors in which commercial uh, finance can flow. But somebody needs to go first, and somebody needs to demonstrate the, the, the viability, take the risk to demonstrate the viability of those investments. So that's very specifically what CDC will be trying to do more of in the next five years. And we have a number of strategies which are listed in, in, the, uh, in the report uh, off-grid solar and uh, you know our role and our opportunity in off-grid solar is to provide local currency finance, local currency debt to off-grid to solar developers in many countries in Africa, which today is not available. Um, transmission and distribution, power transmission and distribution in Africa is a, is a sector that's had almost no investment uh, in the recent past. So we want to start investing money there again to demonstrate uh, uh, that it can uh, have significant impact, but can also be. Um, uh, uh, can also be uh, um, investable for others. Uh, we're going to be uh, launching a, a volume guarantee program, which is something I was familiar with from my days in, as an advisor to the Gates Foundation, which will stimulate, we hope, the development of vital drugs and, and, and uh, vaccines uh, for uh, diseases against diseases in Africa. So, um, uh, so there's a whole range of different things and different activities that we think we can involved uh, we can be involved in, where which heretofore have been considered, frankly, too risky for many development finance institutions, including CDC. And I think more than anything, if I think about how our impact will be measured, how our influence will be measured over the next five years, it's our ability 
to do these, to, to, to develop these risky, these more risky investments and to show that over time they can become uh, more investable, attract private capital. And so when people look back at it when we're five years from now, when we're launching our next strategy, I think, I, I hope that we'll be able to point to a whole series of different areas where our capital has been the first mover capital that has helped develop, uh, uh, has helped uh, develop these, uh, these areas. Um, thirdly, um, I think we need to mobilize more capital. This is not just about CDC. Um, we've probably got more experience and more data than almost anybody else in investing in the markets in which we invest. We sit here in the world's leading financial center, and I know from my work uh, in the impact investment uh, community just how much appetite there is in mainstream financial institutions to start investing in, the support, uh, in support of the SDGs. And frankly, nobody's better placed than, 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 than CDC is to champion that work. And nobody's better placed to, be, to act as a partner to ensure these, 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 uh, these investments are made in a thoughtful way and in a way which has development right front and center. Um, so we'll be doing a lot more uh, within, the, within the financial community to encourage and help and hopefully um, attract more uh, capital outside of just ours to, to what we're investing in. And finally, uh, I think it's also important for us to continue to try to be more transparent. And we need to also ensure that we're partnering effectively with all our stakeholders. And you know, one of the key lessons that I learned when I was at Big Society Capital was just how valuable our partnership with civil society was. And um, you know, those organizations, and I know many of you represent in, the, in this room, uh, those organizations understand the issues that we're trying to solve oftentimes much better than we do. And there's a whole learning process that we can engage, uh, uh, that we can, uh, that we can engage with them. So that's something, as I said, I learned when I was at, uh, at BSC, and I want to make sure that we're doing that as 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 as, as much as we possibly can um, at CDC. From our side, we also intend to, to publish more information on the companies we invest in, why we invest, uh, what we hope to achieve, uh, and whether over time that we're actually doing that. So. Those are, I think, just some of the things. I recommend the strategy document uh, to you. Um, I think, hopefully, uh, it gives you somewhat of a taste for what I'll be doing over the next uh, few years. I think, hopefully, it comes across as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an exciting but also a, a challenging agenda. But I think one, as we said, that is enormously important if we're going to come anywhere close to achieving the, the uh, uh, global goals. And one thing I absolutely know for sure is that um, this is something where we're going to need all the help we can get. And so I'm looking forward to working with everybody in this room as we try to achieve that. So thank you all. And, and, now, and now, as I promised, before we go to Q&A, we're going to show you a short um, uh, video about uh, Miro Forestry in Sierra Leone, which I think gives you a very good sort of feel for the type of work uh, and impact that an organization like CDC can create. West Africa have lost 80% of its indigenous forest. It has been ravaged by wildfire, exhausted by charcoal production, and we intend to do something about it. I'm James Fona. This is Smyro, Yoni Plantation, Northern Province of Sierra Leone. Plantation foresting is one step towards minimizing deforestation and combating climate change. We pick the best seed possible, and some we put in by hand, and others by machine. You have to see this plant as your baby. There should be one-to-one -one contact, some extraordinary feeling. 
now that we are seeing standing trees, standing forest, is a dream come true. We have over 3 million trees and 600 employees. Employment is very important. A couple of years ago, there was no money, there was no cash flow. Things were hard. business <laughs> Most of this community, their houses were built and roofed in chat, but today they have tin roofs in their houses because of the job we have gained from this community. The community feel empowered. The plantation can help their environment very greatly to reduce greenhouse gases. It also helps to minimize flooding and erosion. We make sure that there's a conservation area alongside our plantation. We are going to preserve the indigenous trees. When I walk around this plantation, I feel I've contributed in developing this community, I've achieved in helping other people to gain jobs. I'm a nature worshiper, so I enjoy the greens, I enjoy the waves of the trees, the fresh air that is producing is just marvelous. I truly believe that we are going to make a difference for the generations to come. Thank you. Beautiful film. Uh, so thank you, Nick, and I want to welcome also our other two panelists. Uh, Rachel Turner is here, and she's the Interim Director General for Economic Development at DFID. Thank you for being with us tonight. That's great. Thank you. Uh, and Daniel Hanna, who is the Global Head of Public Sector and Development Organizations at Standard Chartered Bank. Welcome, Daniel. Uh, so um, I'm going to ask each of you a couple of questions, and we're going to try to keep it uh, short and lively so we have a good conversation. And then after that, we're going to go out um, and uh, field some questions from the audience as well. And I, I want to start with you, Daniel. Um, and the first thing I wanted to ask you, I want to kind of elicit, uh, I think, a, 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 a good news and a bad news uh, frame from you. Um, you were involved uh, a couple of years ago in thinking about how to respond creatively to the Ebola crisis. Um, and so I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about that um, and what you learned from that experience. Sure, thank you, um, Alex. And, and first of all, actually, maybe I could just say a very big thank you for inviting me to this panel. And I think an excellent set of speeches from the Minister and Nick. Um, and it's a real privilege to be here at the start of CDC's launch of its new strategy. Um, so I was very fortunate to be part of um, the work that both Standard Chartered and CDC did uh, during the Ebola crisis. Um, and it, it all started from a conversation that happened um, at the IMF annual meetings where we were thinking about how we could be helpful to an economy that was going through a really difficult period in terms of obviously the health crisis that was affecting it, but also the, 
knock-on economic impacts that you were seeing. I think you had seen a situation where working capital completely seized up, there was a lot of stress in the banking system, and companies were really struggling, I think as you heard in the video, um, to, to find ways to keep going. Um, and together, we put together a $50 million facility that put new funds into uh, the economy and supported a number of companies going through this period who could both take part in the relief efforts, so they were able to provide critical commodities that were required in the relief efforts themselves, and then the sort of rehabilitation post the Ebola crisis as well. And I think what was really striking about that was that we managed to do that in eight weeks, um, which door-to-door, -door, even for a commercial institution, is incredibly fast, and certainly for a development finance institution, it is, is very much at the speedier ends uh, that, that the sector sometimes works at. Um, and it was really down, I think, to a very dedicated set of teams on, on both sides. Um, we actually managed to support, I think, about 3,300 jobs in Sierra Leone during this process, and that had a knock-on impact. I think CDC has estimated around 30,000 sort of livelihoods. Um, and I think it provided a, a very needed boost at, at a time when the economy was going through a very dark patch. Hmm. So, I want to I want to take you from that to the the wider challenge, um, which is that I, you and I were at something recently, and somebody said, <coughs> I've heard from other people as well that in the last year there has only been financial close on one major energy project in Africa. Um, that to me does not speak to a revolution. It speaks to uh, a stalled challenge, a lot of enthusiasm, more players in the market, more commitments of finance, but the reality is that it's not being delivered. And so can you tell us a little bit about why you think that is and what really needs to change uh, from CDC and others to actually unlock the financing that's going to be necessary? Well, I guess I, I think I, I have a very lucky position because Standard Chartered, we're on the ground um, in lots of places in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. and. Um, in my role, I speak to a lot of governments and public investors. And certainly when you talk to governments in places like Africa, there is a huge demand for new capital, new projects, big infrastructure plans. When you go speak to the investment community, and I think we all know the stats that there's $120 trillion of assets under management in the private sector. There are some $8.6 trillion at the moment invested in bonds and yielding negative uh, in terms of their response. So surely there is a way to bring these two conversations together. Um, and yet, it, as you say, it's not always happening. And I think there's, there's sort of, I think the way as a former economist, I always think about the demand side and the supply side. So in, in terms of the supply of capital, I think the first issue is around sort of the difference between risk and perceived risk. Um, for a number of years, I've been advising an infrastructure company raise money in, in Africa. And I've been very struck by how few investors are willing to look at African infrastructure. infrastructure. That's even though, if you look at the stats, African infrastructure has one of the lowest default rates in the world. It has a lower default rate than Asian infrastructure, a lower default rate than European and American infrastructure. And yet there is a risk perception out there um, that means that investors are put off. And I think Nick mentioned the importance of information, and I think that is really critical. In a lot of these markets, there is just not enough information for investors to get comfortable, and that means they build in a risk premium. I think the second issue around the supply is, is actually the constraints that investors themselves are under. So many investors can only invest in large projects. They need to spend 100 million, 200 million, 300 million at a go. They need to be able to invest in maybe an investment grade opportunity. They can't go below that. And they need to invest um, in dollars as opposed to local currency. 
And if you look on the demand side, I think one of the problems is actually there are not that many infrastructure projects that have dollar payables linked to them. So we have this big issue of demands in local currency, but effectively supplied capital in dollar currency. And then we've also got the issue about just complexity of the number of bankable projects in these markets is not that great. So I think there are something like 67 project preparation funds um, available in Africa. And actually, the research shows the more project preparation funds you see, the actual more complicated it becomes to raise money. So actually trying to build up the pipeline of bankable projects in these markets is also a key piece. And I think it's trying to tackle both those ends at the same time, and then we'll see some real progress. Mm, that's interesting. Well, maybe we'll come back to that. Rachel, um, I want to ask you, you know, I, I think some people stand back and say, well, is this really the work of the development community? Obviously, not just the CDC strategy, but overall, you've put a, a big bet on with a new uh, economic development strategy. I was in Uganda recently, and I saw some work that was being done by uh, DFID to combat HIV and malaria, uh, working on maternal health, things that literally for a few dollars can make the difference between life and death for people. Um, and as a result of those types of investments from DFID, we have made incredible gains. It's something that we know how to do. And every one of the pounds that you take away from that to go to CDC, um, you've really got to know that you're going to have impact. So, so tell me a little bit about the theory of change that you think makes this a worthwhile set of investments. Sure, sure. Good questions, Alex. I mean, I think the minister has started to answer that in his speech, and I think Nick also took us a long way in terms of answering that. Our economic development strategy that we launched earlier this year puts us firmly uh, behind supporting the direction of travel that developing countries are keen to move on to absolutely transform their economies. And all the evidence that we really very strongly believe in shows that thriving private sectors, thriving businesses that can offer jobs to people and to young people are the best route to poverty eradication. And we feel, you know, very firmly that developing a thriving, responsible private sector is really going to be the solution to deliver the global goals and to eradicate poverty. And that's why this strategy that we're launching today with this new approach from CDC, the patient capital, the ability to invest in the fragile markets is so important to delivering our ambition for the global goals. But at the same time, Alex, this is not all we're going to do. I mean, we're absolutely clear, and the minister was clear just now, that we also remain firmly committed to other routes to deliver for the very poorest people. And that includes things we need to do for the poorest people so that they are confident and capable and healthy and educated and able to contribute to growth and to seize the benefits of that economic growth and to be in a position to secure those jobs. So it's a balanced approach. It's not an either-or. And I think you know, the key issue is that we're trying to build a really comprehensive policy that has the economic transformation piece absolutely at its heart, but that we are still going to be providing 
grant aid, we're still going to be really strong and effective humanitarian donors. We're still going to be supporting the things we need to do in family planning, the things we need to do with neglected tropical diseases, as well as this new and exciting approach to economic transformation. That's great. And, mm. you know, I think that uh, we here at ODI spend our days and often our nights wrestling and grappling with the question of how do we know? How do we know that what we uh, are trying to do uh, actually has impact? Um, one of the things, there was a, a report from the House of Commons uh, earlier this year, and one of the, the critical points that they were making in that report um, was whether uh, DFID has an effective means to evaluate CDC's performance and returns. Uh, there are some really good things in this strategy talking about how you might do that, how you might do more of it, how you might do more, measure more things, how you might uh, be more transparent about the outcomes. Can you just tell us a little bit about what is going to give you the comfort levels, as you said, that you have the balance right, that the, that the investments being made are in fact delivering what, what is promised here? I mean, there are, there are lots of parts to that. The first bit is what Nick has been saying in terms of the commitment in this strategy from CDC to be absolutely clear that for every investment, there's going to be what we're calling a route to impact. So for every investment, we're going to have clear what the development expectation is, and it's going to be monitored, and it's going to be reported on. So there will be, for every investment, an ex-ante and an ex-post set of information and set of data that will tell us if we're having the impact we want to have. So that's pretty good. We are also, uh, ourselves, going to be putting our own evaluation strategy alongside what CDC are doing. And that will allow us to do some really serious longitudinal work that will be able to track a whole set of issues, including issues around whether we've succeeded to mobilize investment. And Nick spoke earlier about our ambitions to really set ourselves uh, targets and ways of working to mobilize investment from the city, from the wider private sector. And it's really important that we're able to track our impact and our success there. But we'll also be able to track the impact that we're having on people's lives, both as workers and beyond in the sectors that we're trying to transform through the investments. So it's a, it's a lot of effort, actually. And, it's, and I think it's going to be really exciting. And I think when we're sitting here, um, when we come, you know, if we're all sitting here in five years' time, I think we're going to have a very rich set of very interesting information that we're going to be able to look and see what we achieved in the last five years. Yeah. Consider the room booked. Mm. Um, so, Nick, let me, let me come to you. Um, one of the biggest challenges, and, and you and Lord Bates both already made reference to this, that, that these types of investments face is knowing that you're not just replacing what uh, a bank would be doing anyway. Or perhaps an even more challenging assertion is that you're, by, by co-financing things and blending finance, that you're subsidizing uh, what private capital would be doing anyway. Um, so how do you, what is it in your model and in fact in your experience that lets you know, that lets you sort out 
where you are doing that and where you aren't so that you can make the investments that need to happen, uh, but not the ones that don't? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, Alex, and it gets to the whole um, the question of additionality and whether or not the money that CDC, uh, organizations like CDC and other DFIs are providing really is additive or whether it's just sort of effectively crowding out what would have happened, what would have happened anyway. And see, the CDC looks at additionality from, with sort of two lenses. The first lens is financial additionality, and it asks the question, uh, would that money have been there? Would that fund have got set up and started? Would that project have got financed if we hadn't put our money in? And that's not just, a, a lot of the time, that's, you know, that's about being the first mover, being the first person to write the first check to say, we'll do this, that'll bring in other, uh, other people. Um, but that's clearly, that financial additionality screen is the first screen. The second screen we look at, which uh, is we call value additionality, and I'll confess that when I left for my trip to, to, to Africa and Asia, I, I left a little bit skeptical on the question of value additionality because I'd heard, you know, yes, we, we, once we get involved in, in, in companies, we help them with all sorts of issues, environmental issues, social issues, and a whole range of issues. And I guess I left a little bit skeptical, but I came back as a complete convert because there's absolutely no question that when you go visit the companies that have not just our money, but our, our, our sort of peer group's money, we make a significant difference to the way these organizations are run. And that is particularly true if you're an equity investor, because you're sitting there, you're at the governance table, you're on the board, and you can really help, you can really uh, create to change. So every investment committee that we have, we will have, we will specifically talk about not just you know, the, the financial characteristics of, of this investment, but specifically talk about the environmental and social issues, not just as they exist today, but what is our plan over the coming years as, a, as an owner of that company? What is our plan to affect change, positive change in that company? I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> it's not just to prove that I read the strategy, but on page 35 of the strategy. <laughs> You have an interesting chart um, that shows uh, your, because you've ramped up investment and are ramping up investment significantly. And so you have this chart that shows here come the investments yep. and then here come the results. Yep. But the investments we see now and the results we see later. Yep. Um, and the combination of a big ramping up of investments and a slow, patient approach to results means that you've got an accountability lag, right? You've got a lag in your ability to be able to tell the story of where those investments are, are gonna go. So talk to us a little bit about that because obviously as Lord Bates referenced, we're in an environment where people demand to understand what's going on. Uh, and so how do, you, how do you think about balancing those over the next five years? I think the question you're asking Alex is you never know whether, whether an investment is gonna be successful until you've finished with it. Um, and, it ta and, and many of the investments that we take on for very good reason. We're, uh, we need to be very patient. They take a long time. So um, I, I think the answer to that question is in the same way that you, on an ongoing basis, any investment firm will monitor what's going on in the companies and with, with the assets they own. So CDC uh, uh, um, monitor not just the, what's going on financially, but monitor on an ongoing basis what impact we're having uh, within the company, both on the sort of a company by company basis as well as a, to as a, as a, as a total portfolio basis. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna do a quick round, one more for each of you, and then we're gonna to go to the audience. 
uh, in this strategy, there's a very interesting description of what happened with Celtel and investments uh, that were made by CDC that ended up being fantastically successful, both in terms of the returns and the access to uh, mobile, probably maybe quicker than would have happened regardless. What is the next Celtel? What is the thing that you are thinking about, Daniel, that you think is going to be the transformative investment sector in Africa in particular that CDC damn well better direct their money to in the next five years? Um, I think if I had that perfect a crystal ball, I may not be sitting at this uh, chair right now. I'd be out running a company in Africa. I mean, I think, I mean, from if you sit back for a second, I think one of the biggest challenges that the continent faces is access to power. So I, I think actually just the number of people that need access to reliable power and the sort of uh, transformative effect that that has, um, I think is incredibly important. And I think that goes for power. And I think from that, you can also then talk about infrastructure more broadly. And so I think I, I touched upon um, briefly some of the stats around African infrastructure. I think working out how we can really move the needle, you know, I'm talking that put, you know, tackle, as Lord Bates said, that $2.5 trillion gap in infrastructure financing, particularly in the fragile states. I think that's where you can find uh, both huge development impact and then also a really sustainable business model. Good. Well, let us know when you find the answer. Uh, Rachel. Uh, not the same question, but if you, if you do know the answer, feel free to volunteer it. I was going to ask you a slightly different question, which is that um, for those of us who kind of cut our teeth in the era of uh, thinking about debt forgiveness, uh, we are back around at a question about whether debt levels are becoming unsustainable. Um, I think that um, not only uh, the DFID strategy, CDC strategy, more broader MDB strategies, I'm not sure whether they're fully taking account of the, some of the risks. W what is your perception of the risks of, of there being too much debt growing again, and this is with other actors coming in as well, China and others, um, that, are, that are rebuilding us towards a place where we may start having uh, debt problems again, and we know what that led to 20 years ago. So. I mean, first and foremost, in relation to CDC, CDC, of course, any debt that CDC creates is lending for the private sector, and it's lending for the private sector proper. And CDC have really strong due diligence processes. So um, I hope that Nick and the chairman would agree with me that the debts that CDC uh, are creating are not debts that will migrate to the sovereign balance sheets and not debt that would create the debt crises that we've spoken about before. And that's really important. It's really important <coughs> to understand that, that we're investing in the private sector, in the private sector balance sheet. And in doing that, we're also very clear as we take these, if you like, these stories of investment through, that we're also really understanding the affordability for the consumer of a business. So, you know, there, there's a real thread of responsibility through everything that CDC does. And uh, I can tell you, we talk to CDC a lot about that and make sure that there is. So in terms also of the impact on consumers uh, who are benefiting from the investments, we're also confident in terms of the approach that CDC takes. In terms of your wider question, I mean, we work very closely with the IFIs, with the IMF, 
and the World <coughs> Bank. Yes, there's a very important set of issues about absolutely understanding what contingent liabilities are being built up, particularly uh, in sub-Saharan African balance sheets. Those are conversations that are <coughs> happening at the highest levels, and there's a lot of effort now in the international system. Uh, many of us are old enough to have been absolutely firmly engaged in the HIPIC process, in the debt write-off. People feel it. They understand it. They're working on it. Great. Thanks. Nick, last one to you um, before we go out to the audience. Um, I want to ask you a, a, a little bit of a same question that I asked Lord Bates. Um, you know, you if you follow through on your strategy, uh, you're going to end up with some losers on the balance sheet. Um, and it's critical to doing what you're trying to do. Um, what do you need from this audience, from the parliament uh, and others to help it, you in your ability to continue to lead and push the boundaries while knowing that there are going to be bad stories out there? Well, I think the, the, the question of, of, of bad stories and, and risk, I mean, you're absolutely right. We're, we're, CDC is an investment firm. It's our job to take risk. You take risk, you will have some winners and you have some losers. One of the things that I'm most encouraged about, having uh, uh, recently joined and uh, sort of kicked the tires a little bit, is actually how high quality the portfolio actually is. doesn't mean there aren't some problems in it. But as a general rule, I think, uh, the organization's done a terrific job, over, particularly over the last five years, in putting money into places where there is significant developmental impact, but also at the same time that the money is, is backing the right people, the right companies, the right organizations. So I think um, uh, um, in terms of what we can get from people uh, in the audience, I mean, the question is how do you minimize the, how do you minimize the risk? You'll never eliminate it. You minimize the risk by ideally knowing as much about the marketplaces uh, that you're investing as you can, uh, knowing as much about the issues you're, you're try, trying to address, the problems. And I think there's many people in this audience that can help us better understand the area, the countries and the areas and the, and the, and the, the sectors that we're involved in. So that's why, as, as I mentioned in my remarks, more engagement, more, uh, uh, more uh, consultation, more collaboration, more partnership is a key part of our strategy over the next four or five years. So we're going to turn to the audience, and first, I'm going to give up my chair uh, so I can stretch out and welcome Graham Wrigley uh, up to here. I've kept it warm for you. Uh, uh, Graham is the CDC's uh, group's chairman, um, and one of the reasons we're welcoming Graham up here uh, for the audience Q&A is that I think one of the things that actually this event uh, and your leadership is projecting is a strong desire for both engagement and accountability for the CDC as you launch this new strategy, which I think everybody applauds. So thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, so I'm going to offer, uh, we have uh, in our very own house here, uh, Dirk Willem Teveld, uh, who is one of the world's leading experts on the issues that we've been talking about tonight, has a great blog out today uh, talking about the strategy and some of the questions we need to ask. So Dirk, I wanted to offer the first question to you. Uh, and let me just say uh, overall um, that uh, if you have a question that is specific for a panel member, please say that and ask your question. Um, and if it's a general question, that's okay too. If you have a comment, uh, that's okay also, but keep it extremely brief, hopefully followed by uh, a question. Dirk. Well, thank you very much. 
uh, Alex. My name is Dirk Tevelt of ODI, and congratulations, Nick, on your new position. Um, I mean, I've watched um, CDC for a number of years now, and, and I'm a big fan of CDC and also uh, development finance institutions more generally, and I think they play an important role in, uh, uh, in the development finance architecture more, uh, uh, more generally. Um, I've seen it evolve um, uh, with the CDC reform a couple of years ago, become more concentrated in particular countries, also adding more instruments, financial instruments, to, uh, uh, to, the, to, the, to the arsenal of, 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 of how we can invest. Um, and you're right to emphasize, of course, the continuity um, uh, in, the, in this, this strategy. But I, I also would like to sort of say that this is not business as usual, at least the way I've read this, uh, this strategy, in that CDC and DFIs used to come from this obscurity. We didn't know much about uh, DFIs. They were investing in individual projects. But now you want to think about global goals and how DFIs can contribute to the global goals. And you are going to, you are actually saying in a strategy, um, you are going to invest uh, to transform whole sectors. Uh, I think that the chairman was, uh, was saying in his foreword about we're going to solve market and sector problems. And that is a different focus, uh, I, I think, or at least an additional focus um, than, than thinking only about individual projects. So my question really is about how do you see this stepping up in the coming five years? How do you see um, you coming from individual projects to th really thinking about sector problems? How is CDC going to become much more visible in development policy, uh, and not just here, but in developing countries as well? How are you going to work with uh, pu public sector officials, with NGOs, with academia, with business there to solve sector problems? Hmm. Good question. Why don't we start with that, and then we'll uh, open up. Go ahead. Uh, no, I think it's a, good it's a good question, and obviously sector strategies become a much more important part of how we're organized at CDC, even in the last couple of years, in terms of, uh, as we uh, um, uh, uh, consider the investments we've made over the last uh, two years. And um, I mean, there's a very good paper actually by the Tony Blair Institute that I read about a week or two ago, which talked about the, issue, the, the challenges of job creation in Africa and talked about uh, the importance of, sector, of uh, governments having pursuing intelligent sector strategies to address, some, you know, identify what you're good at and, and make sure you invest in that. Um, I think CDC's role, there are, and we are, we've articulated and laid out in this um, uh, document seven, seven uh, core sectors. I think within uh, each sector we need to clearly define what we see as sort of the future growth of the, the sector. What, what needs to happen in those sectors, in which countries, to really be, trans be really transformational. <coughs> so that idea of a sec historically we've done sort of sector mappings where we look at, you know, who's in the sector right now. I think we need to be much more forward looking and think in terms of thinking of, of a real sector strategy. And I think importantly also work with DFID as a key stakeholder because, you know, I've been visiting all these countries in, in, in Africa and everywhere I go, I mean, different representative. And uh, everywhere, they're making significant commitments, grant commitments, mm -hmm. to supporting the growth of, 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 of private development, um, of, private, of the private sector. So we need to make sure that we're partnering. You know, lots of the sort of regulatory issues that get in the way of successful private sector mm -hmm. development can be, a need can be addressed uh, in partnership with DFID. So it's that sort of, it's, 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 it's having a... Uh, it's having a sector strategy, understanding where you're trying to get to, understanding what are the barriers, understanding whether you can solve those or whether you need to partner with the, with the DFID or drawing on, as I said in my remarks, the information that's in this, in this room and uh, uh, from, from, the, uh, from the NGO, NGO community. 
Rachel, do you just want to say something about how DFID is, uh, is or plans to align with the CDC investments to achieve what Nick is talking about? Yeah, I mean, I've, well, I mean, I think Nick has said um, pretty clearly that um, there's, there's, we're really going to step up this flow of information between us, um, both here but also out uh, in the developing countries. And particularly, we're absolutely hungry as DFID to hear a lot more from CDC about the constraints to investment. What are the things that need solving, not at the enterprise level, not at the sector uh, platform <coughs> level, if you like, but actually in working in partnership with government. And uh, we made a commitment in our new economic development strategy that a lot of the work we're doing on uh, regulatory reform, economic reform with governments, that we would take a lot of that closer to the investor. And in fact, we had a discussion around that in this room a couple of weeks ago about how important it is to really build up those actions on reform, really listening tightly to investors. So we're really going to, we're really going to step up. Great. Let's invite a few more questions uh, over here. If you could identify yourself uh, and where you work, that would be great. Thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Vida Cavaliero, and I'm with Action in the UK. I'm not sure we're getting, are we getting the sound? Is it just for the... Go ahead. Okay, I'll just carry on. Oh, Great. Right. So uh, my name is Ila Caballero and I'm with Action Aid UK and I'm really pleased to see that women's economic empowerment is quite prominently in the strategy. We're really happy about that. Um, but I just wondered whether I could ask a little bit more in detail what this is going to be like and how it's going to play out and how it might be maybe in partnership with some of DFID's um, economic development strategy commitments towards gender. I'm particularly quite interested in hearing about that in terms of the quality of jobs that are available to women? Great question. We're going to take a couple more over here. Good afternoon, uh, Luke Mann, Accenture Sustainability Strategy. Uh, fantastic to see that the global goals are so prominently featured in the new strategy. My question then is how are you actually going to make sure that they're incorporated at the company level, right where the rubber hits the road, and making the business case and as, as opposed to, say, you know, there's just some additional tick boxes um, and additional reporting burden? Thank you. Good interrelated questions. We'll take the third one here and then go back uh, to the panel for responses. Thank you. Uh, Dario Kenner uh, from the policy team at CAFOT. Uh, again, welcome the um, inclusion on quality jobs. I'm just wondering what indicators you might be using to measure those. And then also, it's good to see a reference to the ILO standards, but just wondering um, where the UN guiding principles on business and human rights uh, appears and how that might link into CDC's work, in particular to uh, mitigate risk and um, bad stories. Thanks. So a little bit of a theme uh, there, uh, I think, in those questions. How do you account for things like gender rights and other things? How do you actually make it real uh, at the investment level uh, beyond rhetoric? Uh, and how do you measure that? And, and, and let me say, obviously, the panelists, all of you, feel free to jump in on any of those questions. Yeah. So um, all very good questions. Um, I don't want to, to uh, and I'm not anyway dodging the question, but I, want, I do want to ask Ritu, who's from, uh, who runs our environmental and social uh, um, uh, group, to perhaps tr uh, answer some of those questions, because she's a lot more qualified to do it than I am. I would uh, only say that. Um, one of the things on the gender question, 
one of the things that I learned at the Gates Foundation was gender is an issue that goes across everything, not just um, uh, you know, how many women you have or how many women you lend to. So I think uh, using that gender lens in every discussion we have about how a company is being managed is a critical element um, uh, uh, what we do, how we incorporate, and as I, I made the point before, how we incorporate these with the, with the companies themselves, ensure they're happening. Um, I do, uh, as I made the point before, I think, I think people, owners have significant um, uh, opportunity in the, in the role, in the governance role they play to affect change, and so that's something that we take very seriously. Um, and have ongoing, a significant team here in London, and ongoing regular di dialogue with the companies uh, to ensure that things they say are going to happen are actually happening. But I would like Ritu to give Ritu the opportunity because she is a person who lives this every day. Yeah, if you can briefly uh, add to that, sure. that'd be great. Yeah. So uh, on the specific question relating to women's economic empowerment and uh, the job quality for women, specifically in our industry companies. We are, you know, we have been looking at the women's issue in the past few years, more on an opportunistic basis, you know, wherever we find an opportunity to uh, support and help women's economic empowerment, be it through financial inclusion programs or financial literacy programs, we do that. But what we have uh, pledged to do in this new strategy is to really develop a very structured uh, gender strategy, which will focus on women's economic empowerment. And, you know, it's early days now. We have just started to develop that strategy. We have a dedicated gender lead within our, within CDC who is working on it together with some advisors. And uh, hopefully by the end of the year, we will have a much more structured program. Uh, in terms of, you know, job quality, we look at it across the board, you know, whether it's male or female job quality. And we follow the ILO uh, conventions, but we are also, you know, we, we have adopted the Modern Slavery Act uh, of the UK government uh, as part of our code of responsible investing. So we look at, you know, issues related to job quality very strategically. We look at health and safety of jobs, security of jobs. But we also recognize that we need to report more, uh, you know, uh, more regularly on this. And we are, again, working on a set, set of metrics uh, which we will agree across the board within CDC and report on, on those in the, in the sort of next five-year strategy. Dan, you have anything? I'm, I'm curious. You, you've been sitting for years now in a lot of these conversations about development finance between public and private. People like to talk about how their investments are going to have these other knock-on effects, but sometimes the bottom line is the bottom line. How have you seen uh, organizations successfully actually make good on these sorts of commitments? Well, I, mean, I think the first thing, the, the great thing about the SDGs is I think it has been a real call to action to the private sector. So I think when they came out, we, we ran a global campaign to, I think everyone in the, the bank, all 100,000 of staff had to go and tell at least 10 people about the SDGs and the commitment to it. Um, and we're going through an exercise at the moment of sort of mapping out the SDGs and looking at how um, we can make commitments to those different areas. I, th I think, if, I mean, if I just pivot a little bit into this area about women's empowerment, I mean, it's something also I think the private sector is incredibly committed to as a whole. Um, we run a, um, a sort of financial literacy and inclusion process with uh, undeveloped, uh, underdeveloped girls um, in, in a lot of the fragile states through netball where we deliver lessons. Um, but I think the, the really critical importance of actually giving employment and access to finance is, is really critical here. 
Um, and um, through our work with microfinance institutions, uh, most of that financing goes into to women as well. So I think you're seeing the private sector use the SDGs and other targets as, as uh, a way of a, a lens of looking at what they're doing and how they can work with the likes of CDC and others. I can just add one yeah. on gender yeah. within CDC itself. Um, sorry, can you hear me? Um, you know, within CDC itself and what you were saying, Daniel, um, we actually have somebody who's done some research um, coming to present to the board and all the staff um, looking at uh, uh, women as investors. And she's done a lot of research to claim which claims. And, uh, you know, I think it's really exciting showing that women are better investors than men. And it's something that we also, it's not in the strategy, but we need to do more within the CDC itself as an organisation over the next five years. Um, uh, you know, as an organization on gender. Great. Do you want to say something or should I go back? Yeah. It's something just because um, we, the, the UK um, sat on the Secretary General's high-level panel on female economic empowerment um, that was launched last year and um, the process of producing that report and I hope that everybody's had a chance to look at it um, was a very strong process to gather the evidence about what works and doesn't work in this space and particularly in the private sector space and we're firmly committed to the actions that were set out by the Secretary General and taking those forward and that's very much what what we're discussing with CDC. We launched last year a program called WOW, uh, Women's Opportunities for Work, which is a specific program to work with business, with the private sector in developing countries to really begin to both support initiatives but to continue to invest in the evidence base about what works and we're absolutely going to be making sure that CDC are part of that and are picking up the learning from that. Great. Another round of questions right here in front. Thank you very much for a very informative panel. My name is Marini and I work with CARE. So in the strategy, you do mention the Africa list, which is looking at training the next generation of future leaders, leveraging CEOs in Africa. I wanted to find out, one, if there was a gender lens on this process, and two, how you were building intra intracontinental trade linkages between your investees and how you are linking them into global supply chains as well. So moving beyond just fiscal resources from the private sector, but also skills transfer and routes to market. Thank you. Uh, yeah, okay, the gentleman right here. Thank you very much. My name is uh, Sergei Mansour Guy. I'm the uh, president of the Senegal UK Chamber of Commerce. So my question is, um, I was just wondering, what is the strategy for the CDC for Francophone Africa? Because we've noticed that you have a huge presence in Anglophone Africa, and most of the time people are asking me, what is your, you know, your strategy for uh, the area, uh, for Francophone Africa? Thank you. Excellent question. And uh, down in the end, uh, so this, this very handsome gentleman, uh, sorry, right here. It's hard to say. You're both very handsome. What, but you're both very handsome. Uh, but but one of you is on my board. 
So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Sam Sharp. I, uh, I work for Save the Children. But actually, I'm, I'm talking about this because uh, I feel passionately about it, for having worked in India for DFID a few years ago with uh, CDC. I wanted to ask two questions. First, in comparison with the capital needs you're talking about, a billion dollars of investment per year isn't actually that big a sum of money. And I wonder whether we could actually envisage CDC being bigger in a few years' time than is in your strategy. And it'd be really interesting to, to, to hear about that. But secondly, I, I, I always felt that the most difficult set of skills CDC had to deploy was, uh, it wasn't finding a great investment, it wasn't finding a great partner. It was ensuring that the uh, money was going to be used safely in a way that was protected from corruption and other risks of that kind. And that seemed to me an absolutely amazing set of skills that CDC had and developed. And I wondered, uh, I didn't really see much about that in the strategy, but wondering whether you could say more about that. Thank you. Interesting. Okay. A couple of diverse points there. Uh, and picking up uh, on uh, the first question that was asked, you know, uh, we, we had a report uh, uh, came out a little while ago about the age of choice and, and you know, uh, the development finance actors have grown. Uh, one in particular uh, has become quite a behemoth, China. They've announced a One Belt, One Road initiative that very much speaks to the aspirations, I think, that you articulated, that this isn't just about individual businesses, but actually fundamental large-scale economic transformation that is more closer to trillions uh, than it is to a billion. So I'm curious how CDC sees itself in that much more crowded, uh, I'd like to think it's cooperative, maybe slightly competitive uh, environment that you're, that you're engaged in. So Graham, you want to start? If I take that question and then the last one and then you do the first two. So um, I think on the question of how do we see CDC in the global world of DFIs. Um, CDC is the oldest DFI in the world, uh, set up in 1948. Um, but relative to the scale of the aid budget, compared to most of DFIs, we're actually the smallest. And that was laid out in, um, in uh, some of the strategy document. Um, I think that what's been happening over the last five years is, and this goes to Sam's question, has been a slow, thoughtful, and well-planned uh, growth in CDC. So our commitment rate has gone up from um, you know, $300 million a year to averaging, you know, last year it was $1.6 billion. But averaging just over a, you know, over a billion dollars. And that, that's been possible because we've slowly built up the team and the resources over the last five years and we've known that this capital need was coming and that led to the recapitalization in 2015 and the CDC Act this year. Um, in terms of what we see and what was laid out in the strategy, we don't see a massive increase in investment rate from the level we're at at the moment. Uh, you know, talked about an on average about 1.2 billion pounds a year. Um, a plus another sum based on how successful we are uh, in these new and innovative strategies. Um, so to Sam's question, we don't see a massive change in scale from the size that we're operating at at the moment over the next five years. It will have funding implications which will be resolved, as we said in Parliament, in a separate business case process later in this year. 
In terms of how do we see our role with other DFIs, and you, Alex, you put on a very thoughtful word about competitors. We don't think we have competitors. You know, CD, our goal is development, and we have partners in the private sector and other DFIs to work together. And, you know, over the last five years, we've worked increasingly collaboratively with DFIs. And I think it's incredibly important we're additional, as Nick said early on, both with respect to private capital, but also other DFIs. I know this is a subject of interest to you just on this question. Uh, I mean, when you look at what's happening, the financial flows, domestic resource mobilization, Chinese investment, all the things that are going on out there, uh, I mean, does, this, does the amount of resources that, that, that is dedicated by the British government and through the CDC, is it, is it, does it have impact in that grand scale? So, um, I don't think it's about money, is the short answer. I, I think if you look at development, and, and I sort of touched on some of these issues beforehand, it's not just about the amount of money out there. There is lots of money out there, whether it's on the private side or whether it's the public side. It's how it gets spent and what it gets spent on. And I think there's absolutely no doubt in my mind this, this point that uh, Graham was making about the additionality of it. Because you can have a billion, you can have 10 billion, you can have 100 billion. But it, if you can spend it in a way that crowds in the private sector, that can find ways of demonstrating that actually the risk is less than um, that the private sector thinks, the private sector will then follow. Or if you can find ways of, as we did with the Ebola facility, of maybe sharing some of that risk to encourage the private sector in, then the private sector will come in as well. And I, and I think I, I was particularly struck by something that Nick said about creating markets, because I think in a lot of these fragile situations, it's a very, very complex place. So going in with a big check does not create a new port project. You need to change the regulations. You need to understand the dynamics. You, you need to look thematically. And I think this point around looking thematically, whether it's healthcare or other things, and unpicking those various pieces, working with the likes of DFID, and creating that market in the same way that, the, uh, as you said, the uh, sort of the mobile telephones got created. If those markets can get created, the private sector will follow, and the capital will follow, and you'll see the, the, the growth. So really, it's about how you catalyze that. Uh, and I think that's possibly what's one of some of the really exciting things that we've, we've heard today. Nick uh, and or Rachel on these questions, but particularly I want to make sure you guys speak to Francophone Africa, uh, but also to come back to this issue of, you know, uh, I was in Paris recently talking to AFD. They obviously have a focus on Francophone Africa, a comparative advantage. Do you guys want to, do you both want to be in the same space? Can you come up with ways to divide the... Uh, where you focus to have especially good insight, contacts, and leverage in the communities that you work in? Yes, yeah, so let me take the question sweetie, on the Africa list and then Francophone Africa. Thank you for mentioning the Africa list because actually it's one of the things, having come to CDC, when I look at all the various, the, the many things we're doing, it's one of the things I, I guess I feel best about and, pr and proudest of. You know, we have assembled uh, in, I guess, five countries now in Africa, a group of, of up to 200 different uh, sort of senior business people from the hundred largest companies in those countries. We bring them together on a, on a quarterly basis to, so, so they can network. We bring in speakers and so on so they can uh, hopefully ha have a learning experience. Recently we organized the first coming together, sort of pan-African coming together of, of, of that group. 
Um, so it is, to be honest, the sort of thing that, uh, that we do as a development finance institution, uh, those are the sort of things that separates us from mainstream financial institutions because we're willing to, to invest in, in doing that sort of thing. And our ambition is over the next um, uh, a few, a couple of years to expand those five countries to, uh, to ten countries. On Africa, it's a very good question. I mean, I guess uh, it was one of the questions I asked when I first arrived, you know, what do we do in, in Francophone Africa? I mean, clearly, um, in any activity, commercial activity, but particularly investment, long-term relationships are really important. I went, for example, to Zambia. If you go to Zambia, you'll find that there's almost no asset in the country that hasn't been owned at some point in time in the last 70 years by, by CDC, and we have really deep roots in, 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 in a country like that. Um, and that comes from our heritage as a, as a Commonwealth Development uh, Corporation. Uh, we don't have those roots in, in, in Francophone Africa. Uh, we would certainly like to build them. Um, we do have, you know, and I've met them, we have people working in CDC now who, who are French and speak French. And that's an important element of actually being able to build relationships there. So, um, so I hope over time that we will, um, uh, you know, when we consider, we've been considering also where we might have people on the ground, and certainly to have somebody in that in that region, uh, it would to, to help us sort of accelerate our building relationships there would be, I think, very uh, uh, important. So it's not any sort of we do have comparative advantage in certain countries and not in others, but we need to work to to to, to develop. Um, uh, uh, those countries where we don't have that natural advantage. Great. We're going to move to wrap up, but Rachel, did you want to say anything about those questions, or I will start with you on the uh, on the wrap up. Why don't you still? Then I will start I with think, you on the wrap up. I think they've yeah. answered. Although I'm right. very, I mean, maybe I should say I'm aware that we didn't specifically answer the question about um, whether we have gender targets for the Africa list, and I think okay. that I do want to acknowledge that question because I think it's an important question. And I think it's something that we should take away and have a look at. The chairman is nodding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you. Um, okay. So uh, yeah. we're going to move to the final wrap up here. I hear, I think I hear bottles being decorked uh, next door. Uh, so be aware of that uh, in terms of the length of your response while all these good people wait to get uh, something to eat. Uh, but seriously, um, uh, maybe we'll just take a minute to 90 seconds each to go down the line, final reflections, thoughts, things that you desperately wanted to say but didn't get the chance well, to. Well, first of all, thank you again for hosting us. Listen, I think we're just, we're very excited and very ambitious about this new strategy and everything that's in it. I mean, there's a heck of a lot of work to do and we are going to work very closely with CDC to deliver it. I mean, I really do think that there's a lot in this strategy that is game-changing. It does feel I think, in many places, very different to what the other DFIs are doing. And I think uh, the points that have been made about, you know, not just acting alone, but acting out in front in terms of showing leadership to the whole DFI community, that remains really important. And we are going to stay very ambitious uh, in terms of what we ask for and secure from CDC. And part of that will be bringing the other DFIs into this space. I think the, you know, part of the answer to the question about how can we get big impact is exactly what Graham just said. It's about the collaboration. And we have seen in other places, you know, we had the Syria conference last year when we launched the work in Jordan for a jobs compact where the DFIs came together, 
in a very impressive collaborative way of working to really deliver game-changing opportunities for refugees to work in Jordan. And it's that kind of ambitious, game-changing approach that we now think that CDC can deliver out in front of the pack, but challenging the others to come with them. And thanks very much for what was a, a really interesting conversation. And I think some, it, it's been great to be here uh, as part of the launch of uh, the CDC strategy. I mean, I, I, let me echo just what I said before, which is I, th I think to, to, track, to crack the sort of the development gap, if you like, to, to crack the billions to trillions agenda, this public-private partnership is, is really critical and important. And I think that's why it's encouraging to hear so much focus within the CDC next five-year plan around mobilization of private sector funding, um, catalyzing and creating new markets. Um, and, I, and I look forward to seeing how we can we can sort of combine both the grant capital and also the development capital that CDC has in this kind of blended finance approach that I think is very important to tackling some of these challenges. Uh, and this whole question about local currency, I think, is, is another big challenge that I think collectively the private and public sector uh, can really uh, work on together. Great. So, Graham, last words to you. So, first of all, on behalf of CDC, thank you very much, Alex, and you and the team um, for hosting this and everybody in the room um, and online for showing the interest in what's an important day for us. Um, it's important because it marks the end of five years of extraordinary change, those charts that uh, Nick showed. You know, under Diana's leadership, she's not here now, but a lot of the team who've done all that hard work, you know, we're really proud about that. But today's about the opportunities and the challenges ahead. And we are excited. We're excited by the opportunities, all the things that Nick talked about from new forms of development impact, the new strategies, gender. There's just so much to do. We're also daunted by the challenge. The challenge because, you know, ourselves and our shareholder, everybody from DFID to Minister Bates, Minister Minister Stewart, Priti Patel, Secretary of State, have really challenged us. <clears throat> and this is an ambitious program. And CDC is inherently difficult. Balancing development impact and financial return is a hard thing. Um, development, as everybody in this room knows, is a complex um, a complex subject, and CDC and private sector development is no exception to that. So we know that this strategy won't be perfect for everybody, but what we really hope is that people can see the, as a result of all the time that we've spent with many stakeholders in Parliament, civil society, we've tried to make significant changes to how we've done things in the last five years for the for the for the future. Um, those challenges we we are feeling as a board on behalf of the board positive. We've got a great CEO. Uh, we're delighted you joined Nick and the team who are here and also not here in Africa and Asia, where over the next five years we said we'll be building up our presence. We think are up for that challenge. There are three things that I really hope you've got from today. Uh, the first one is that we have no delusions of grandeur. We are only one small part 
of the development agenda. You know, a part of DFID's economic development agenda, which is, as Rachel said and, and Lord Bates said, is a part of the overall development agenda. And we see ourselves working together collaboratively with civil society and other actors to achieve the SDGs. Secondly, whilst making a return, a positive, sustainable return, is inherent in our mission, our purpose is development impact. That is what motivates us institutionally, and it has done for 70 years, and personally. And the third thing is, as Nick said, I think very clearly, we want to be an open and a more open organization than we've been in the past. Why? Because what we do is hard. We have made mistakes, we will make mistakes. Making, taking risks, as Lord Bates said, is part of our mission. And we know we have to earn stakeholders' trust. We're a long-term business. Next year will be our 70th year anniversary. Investments in CDC can last 10 years. And so if we're going to achieve our mission, we need to have all the support and all the feedback. When we make mistakes, please tell us. Send an email, call Nick, me. We want to learn. And together, as, uh, as Lord Bates said, you know, we want to achieve our goal, which is making a lasting difference on people's lives on behalf of the UK taxpayer. Thank you a lot. Uh, you guys have been a terrific audience. I feel like we need to work on temperature control a little bit in the room, but hopefully you'll be able to cool down outside. Uh, but please uh, join me in thanking a terrific panel. Um, and if you have a burning question, uh, the panelists are going to be here. We've got uh, some food and drink outside. I strongly encourage you to stay, to enjoy it, and to ask them the really hard questions that you didn't get to uh, in the discussion. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. For more ODI live event podcasts, find us on SoundCloud or subscribe to the Overseas Development Institute podcasts via iTunes.